And so I preached. And when I finished preaching, she came up to me and she was like, now, I don't believe in women preachers, but you're a preacher. And I was like, man, well, last time I went to the bathroom and I checked, I was still a woman and I'm a preacher. So, so, you know, and so if you have that kind of resistance from the congregation, yeah, you're going to get burnt out. You're going Absolutely. to be tired. It's like too much of an uphill battle. is sanctified the littest church service where hot girls and holiness align and we are your hosts i'm deborah joy winans i'm a wife a mother an actor but most importantly i'm a lover and i'm levon briggs emmy award winner joy chaser and a queen's girl and when my old church asked me to wear stockings i bought fishnets and this is the kind of church that rocks with the Megan the Stallions just as much as the Mahalia Jacksons. On Sanctified, we center the testimonies of sisters who are figuring out their faith authentically. And we're going to ruffle some of the saints' feathers, y'all. But we will always leave you feeling affirmed and loved. You ready, LaVon? Let's go get them. Let's get sanctified, y'all. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of Sanctified. What up? How y'all doing? <laughs> it's getting real up in here today, y'all, because we are talking about what happens when you don't answer the call, you don't became the preacher, the minister, the teacher, the pastor child in the <laughs> church, and then you realize ministry just ain't for me. Mm. So let's start by defining what ministry means to us. DJ, what does ministry mean to you? Honestly, to me, ministry simply means people. Mm. people don't care how much you know mm. until they know how much you care. So if you're not effectively helping people thrive in every area of their lives, then you're not really effectively ministering. Mm-hmm. So you have to care about the people. I love that. And that's so interesting because in my experience, I grew up seeing priests in the Episcopal church mm-hmm. and then the preachers in the Pentecostal and Baptist traditions And so I just assume ministry meant preaching from the pulpit, Mm. right? And uh, so as a preacher, I was like, yes, I'm called to ministry, but ministry is so much more than just preaching. Absolutely. In my experience, I've actually learned that just because you're a good preacher, it doesn't mean you're a good pastor. And just because you're a good pastor, it doesn't mean you're a good preacher. Amen. So ministry is bigger than being able to give a word. Ministry is everything. Mm. It's it's what you touch. It's where you go. Because I also believe that being in your ministry means you don't just say, I'm going to pray for you. Mm. It means you recognize the moments where you are the answer to that prayer. Come on. So don't just be like, oh, this person looks hungry. I got eight tacos from Taco Bell in my truck, but I'm going to keep those for myself. I'm just going to tell them I'm going to pray for you. No, no, no. Be the answer. You know what I've seen? People be like, you know, when black people tell you, oh, I'll be praying for you. That was the prayer. (laughs) That's the prayer. That was the prayer. (laughs) They didn't go home. They didn't get in their car. They didn't say, what's your name? Right. Oh, Quintana. Okay. Let me go home. Quintana. Lord, I want to talk to you about Quintana. Yeah. That's just it. That that was the prayer. But a lot of times we can be the answer to that prayer. And that is your ministry because it just might be a word it might be a dollar it might be a hug a burger trust me i am i'm going to send my words to god but i also want to be in a position where i can be an answer to that right i love the topic of this show because it's leaving ministry and Maybe feeling like you're burnt out or Mm -hmm. it wasn't your place but i think we're also going to be recognizing what your full ministry really is, Mm -hmm. you know? And 
the idea that everyone has a ministry, even if you're not ordained to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Talking about ministry in this way unfolds it in such a way that we all are partaking. Ministry Mm -hmm. is a shared service. Mm -hmm. It's not just the pastor. It's not Mm -hmm. just the preacher. It's Mm -hmm. not just the church mother. We all have a role in healing and liberation. Because they're all gifts. Mm -hmm. They're all gifts. You know, God gave gifts. Is it what is it? Come on, Levon. In Ephesians? Uh, Ephesians 4.11, it was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. But even beyond beyond that, there are more gifts. It's Mm -hmm. not just one gift in ministry. And because he's given us all so many different gifts, Mm -hmm. that way we can really touch everybody. Everybody's not going to go and be in the four walls to get God. Right. They may be getting God through you on the street. Hello. You know, so they might be helping people that never, ever come to church. Ministry is not just what happens on Sunday mornings. It's It's great to gather, to be the ecclesia, the church, the gathering, the community. Come on, ecclesia. (laughs) Come on, Greek. (laughs) But at the same time, ministry is, you know, a seven day a week thing. It is. Not saying you got to sacrifice yourself to the point where you're because, you know, burnout is real. It is, but that's also ministry, ministering to yourself. Hello, self Knowing when you need your your full-on self day, Mm -hmm. when you need to be like, no to everybody, Mm -hmm. as I learned from a friend. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Jamel Hill. Praise the Lord. No is a full, complete sentence. And no is a holy word. It's a ministry. No is a ministry. Let's practice saying no. Let's practice. No. No. Nah. (laughs) Uh Uh-uh. Child, please. No. <laughs> no, I'm serious. And if I'm you're crying. not if you're not quite there, sis, you can say I'd love to, but I can't. Yeah. Or I don't have the bandwidth for that. I'm sorry, that won't work for me today. Mm, the Lord is not calling me to that ministry today. Amen. <laughs> so speaking of ministry, let's see how the dictionary defines ministry, child. Yes. Ministry the noun is a person or thing through which something is accomplished. Something is accomplished. So it's not about being on a stage, mm. telling people how wrong they are. Oh, my. And and calling out every bad thing that you feel you see mm-hmm. because nothing is being accomplished. Oh, my God. What's being accomplished through your shaming? Because shame doesn't come from God. Shame comes from people. So what was the point of pulling them up in front of the church? Because all you've done is push them away from God. Exactamente. And that is sin. Absolutely. Anything that separates you from God is sin. It ain't a legalistic list of do's or don'ts. Right. And so some people's ministry that's built on telling you what to do and how Mm -hmm. you should live your life. Mm -hmm. That ain't ministry. You done said something. Let's talk about minister the verb to render service, aid or medicine. To furnish means of relief or remedy. Remedy feels so good. It does. Ooh. Because that means there is a solution mm. to the situation I'm in. Come on. You have the the balm. Yes. You that is what we should be. Like we talked about Jesus as the bomb in Gilead. You are the bomb in Inglewood, okay? <laughs> you are the bomb in Hollis. Yes. Like Yes. Be a bomb. Be a bomb. I love that for us. I do too. I love that we are talking about ministry because it can be such a big word. When you Mm -hmm. grow up in church or when you serve in church, you think that it has to be ordination. You Mm -hmm. think, oh, I have to be the senior pastor. But when we look at the beauty and the egalitarianism and the shared communal responsibility of ministry, we realize 
you don't have to wear a collar to be who God called you to be. Not at all. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to go to Bible school. You don't got to wear the robes. Mm -hmm. You can be who God called you to be in your body con, in your blazer, Uh in your stiletto. Uh I love this shared communal responsibility of ministry because it shows that you don't need to be ordained to be the minister, right? Mm -hmm. But if you are the minister, let's say you are working towards ordination and somebody's holding your ordination hostage. Ask me how I know. Mm. You got to honor, am I doing this because of what people are labeling me and quote unquote giving me permission to be or because God is calling me to it? Because at the end of the day, God is bigger than any system of credentials or certifications to approve me to ministry. God authorized me Mm -hmm. at birth, Mm -hmm. maybe before birth, because before I formed you in your mother's ah, glory. And I think that when we know that, we stop doing things out of how people feel Mm -hmm. and we start moving because of what God has put in us. Mm -hmm. I had to learn that if I let you down Mm. because of your perception and your uh, desires for me, that's okay. If I let me down Mm. because I'm not following my heart and what God has put in me, that's not okay. Mm -hmm. That's something I will regret. Mm -hmm. And so recognizing that you don't need a collar to be a minister in any sort of way and that God is bigger than what we as man have seen ministry to be Mm -hmm. way bigger. Absolutely. And when I was technically, I was hired to be the youth and young adult minister. It was a large, relatively progressive black Baptist church in Vallejo, California. When I got there, I was actually the assistant pastor because what had happened was I got there and I'm thinking, okay, I'm zero to 35 in age. Right. Mm -hmm. But next thing you know, the elders want me to do this and the deaconesses want me to do that. And I'm Ah, popping all over the place. And I was like, I'm here to serve the youth and young adult ministry. He was like, when you're behind that pulpit, you're whoever's pastor is seeing you in that moment. I was like, well, can I get a pay raise? Because it was very much giving assistant pastor. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, friends, I know y'all haven't had a youth and young adult pastor in 11 years, but... It's a new season. Yeah. You can't just tell me what to do. And as soon as I found my footing and felt really comfortable with the young adult ministry, he basically gave me an ultimatum was like focus on youth ministry, meaning like elementary, middle school age kids or else. And so I was forced out. So the ministry I felt led to do the Mm. ministry I was excited about that. I felt I could be most fruitful and impactful Mm -hmm. because of his plan to bring in more families that had more money Mm. to tithe, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It was like, fuck what you want to do, what you feel God is calling you Mm -hmm. to do. This is what I need done for my plan. And people would still call him a minister. Wow. And so we got to be really careful about what we say ministry needs to look like in other people's lives. Absolutely, 100%, because you don't get to tell them what their ministry is. Hello? And he realized he was messing with the wrong one. Child, so I gave my two weeks notice, which is unheard of in church culture. Yeah, because you need time to transition. You're supposed to give three to six months notice at least. You said, I'm not playing with (laughs) y'all. I'm not. And it was so unfortunate because there was so much grief and trauma and loss around that. Mm -hmm. And the expectation was that 
well, you were called to this church to serve. I'm going to tell you what that looks like. Mm -hmm. And for many women in the church, the expectation is once you're in ministry, then you got to be in ministry traditionally forever. And Mm -hmm. we're not doing that no more. I was like, I'm out. And they expect black women in particular to do their ministry quietly. Ooh. Whether or not is he, I mean, this is prime example, whether or not you were happy to do what he said or whether mm-hmm. or not that really took you away from what you knew God was calling you mm-hmm. to do. He didn't expect any back talk. He expected you, you know, if I give you this ultimatum, surely she's going to want this job. Surely <laughs> she's going to fall in line. Child. She needs to do what I say and do it quietly. The way I got out of that church, I was supposed to be there for three to five years. I was there for two and a half years. And I'm not alone. I know other women ministers, Mm -hmm. youth and young adult ministers who are in the church, black women especially, who they come and they're super excited. But once they realize what it means to have us in that space, they don't like that. They don't like it because we come with this light Mm. that we feel like we constantly have to dim. And when black women Mm. make up the majority of your church and you consistently want us to be lower than mm. to dim it down a little bit right not be so extra right not walk in the fullness and the beauty of what god has called us to be because it's a little too shiny Ooh. we're burned out we are trying to figure out what you want what you need how can i do it like this or well, let me do it like that because then he johnny won't be mad if i do it like this Child. but then you know Clifford gonna say, well, you know, you should have done. There was a Deacon Clifford. I can't do it, was it? <laughs> there was a Deacon Ooh. Clifford. <laughs> Look, let me tell you, and I ain't even know. But like, we're tired. We're yeah. tired of trying to answer to man. We're literally tired of men. We're tired of patriarchy. <laughs> yes. We're tired of sexism. But don't get it twisted. There are some women who internalize that oppression as well. Because the first time that I preached mm-hmm. first Sunday, you know, first Sunday in the Baptist church, child, oh, it's a communion Sunday. Sunday. It's, yeah, a it's a big Sunday. Sunday. And we have been all them rituals and stuff going on, child. And so I preached. And when I finished preaching, she came up to me and she was like, now, nah, I don't believe in women preachers, but you're a preacher. And I was like, man, well, last time I went to the bathroom and I checked, I was still a woman and I'm a preacher. So, so. You know, and so if you have that kind of resistance from the congregation, yeah. you're going to get burnt out. You're going Absolutely. to be tired. It's like too much of an uphill battle. Exactly. It's too much. Let's hit those stats real quick. 50% of pastors indicated that they would leave the ministry if they had another way of making a living. Yeah. Wow. 50%. I believe that. 50%. 70% said they have a lower self-image now than when they first started. Mm-hmm. That has to be about women. Mm. You know? And I'm sure there, there are some men in there, but if you have a lower self-image mm-hmm. now than when you first started, things are not adding up the way that they should. Mm-hmm. 50% of the ministers started out will not last five years. Yep. I left in two and a half years. And so as black women have been rejecting the systems in the church that exist to repress us and suppress us, we have been leaving the quote unquote four walls Mm -hmm. and co-creating our own spaces. Mm -hmm. You know what? No, I feel like I try to be all like community based and we have been leading digital spaces. Yes. Digital sacred spaces. Yes. Where people are gathering and people are getting free and getting healed, decolonizing their faith, Mm -hmm. you know, being intentional about going after their dreams. Mm -hmm. That's not happening inside the church, not during COVID. That's not happening inside the church that won't ordain women. While COVID was a 
very terrible time and so many people suffered from it. So many people lost things from it. Child, we still in it. I, we're, we're, we are. <laughs> I do believe that the whole world mm. needed that reset mm-hmm. and we needed to really sit down and see what is our focus? Right. What are we teaching? What are we preaching? How are we ministering? Girl. How are we helping the world? And when I saw some churches pivoting to, well, you know what? We can't gather, but we can give you all food. Mm -hmm. We can pay some rent. Mm -hmm. We can do this. That is what the church is meant to be. Correct. That is what we're meant to do. That is when we're actually ministering. Mm -hmm. We are giving remedy. Mm -hmm. We are giving relief. We are being a balm. So I think we needed that reset so that we can rediscover what we were meant to do and be able to see how the ministry affects people outside of the four walls. Even when I go to work, whenever I get a job, whenever I'm on a set working, I recognize I am still in my ministry. Mm -hmm. I have my work in front of the camera, but I have the behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. I have the the sound, the grips, the electric, the Mm -hmm. wardrobe. And I have to make sure I am being the love of God right. wherever I am. Yep. That is ministry so yep. that people are touched, people are changed, people say, hey, Joy, do you mind praying for me? I surely mm. don't. Wherever you go, there should be a trail yep. of what kind of ministry you have left behind. Yes, like some stardust just in your trail. Sprinkle it. One thing that I did pick up from pastoral ministry was checking in with folks. So mm-hmm. when I see people and I'm like, how are you doing? Are you having a good day? Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm at a restaurant, have you eaten today to my server? Are you staying hydrated? And you'll be surprised every time a server walks past me, they'd be like, oh, water. And they'll go get a sip of water. Wow. That is ministry because it's about how you walk through the world. Yeah. We are all expressions of God on the earth. Mm-hmm. How are people Amen. encountering God when people encounter you? Amen. It should be a form of self-healing. Mm-hmm. It should be a form of nurturing. And not just for the people, but for you. Right. If you're not healing, if you're not nurturing yourself. Mm, that's so good. How can you be that for other people? And I love that because I feel like people try to make our faith walk so individual like Jesus died for me and my sins if that's what your faith boils down to you're missing out on so many opportunities to give and to be given and to receive Mm -hmm. to learn to grow to expand that's Mm -hmm. why I really adore being a digital content creator who's also a spiritualist because Ministry in the 21st century, the disciples wish they had TikTok, <laughs> Instagram, right? And YouTube. They was writing epistles and <laughs> delivering shit on foot. Like, it was a lot. Okay. It was a lot. Now we just click. Their feet was jacked, jacked. up. Okay. They yes. needed a pedicure deluxe Look. with paraffin wax. Look. Callus Dip them removers. Things. Dip them things. It was not giving. No. Toenail clip is all of it. <laughs> It was not giving. So I love that we are looking at ministry as a collective act. Yeah. It's so much more expansive that way, which is why Black women, if you're feeling a call to ministry, honey, honor the call. Don't let nobody tell you you're not called. Because we can't say we're hearing from God if we're not hearing from 50% of God's people. Yeah. And don't let them tell you what that call looks like. LaVon, talk to us about who we have today testifying. Ooh, child. So listen, today's testimony is one that's going to take us to the rafters, okay? So Astu is an Oakland-based singer and songwriter. 
who has been so transparent about leaving traditional ministry. And over time, Astu has stepped into the fullness of who she is. And it is powerful, Mm. to say the least. And so in today's testimony, I do want to offer a content warning that she does mention depression and thoughts of self-harm, i.e. being suicidal. And so if that would be harmful for you to hear, maybe fast forward through that part or come back to it when you're ready. But now let's get ready to hear from the one and only Astu. My name is Astu and this is my testimony. Singing always made me feel safe. I felt joy and passion. I just felt real. I felt right. My parents, my uncles, my aunts, it was a whole ministry family. And so I was always very outspoken and I can move people with my voice. I was like the one that the baton was being passed to. When it came to preaching and to leading worship, I really loved the ability to move people into intimacy with God and with love. My whole life, I knew that something didn't fit. And so I think from like third grade till I was about 21, I was doing all kinds of wild stuff. I always would say, when I grow up, I will give my life back to Jesus. After high school, I moved out and I was introduced to shrooms and I just loved it so much. And I would have these incredible spiritual experiences. And the last time I did it, I ended up interpreting it was, okay, it's time. And so I quit shrooms, I quit cigarettes, I quit alcohol, like everything. And then I dedicated my life to Christ. And I ended up moving to Tulsa, Oklahoma to attend the Bible college that my uncle and my dad went to. I rose up in the church and I go all the way when I do anything. And I ended up marrying a 6'1", 190-pound white boy from Kansas, preacher, minister. And if I started to realize like, this is not my path, this isn't my life, I'm living someone else's life. And I think really the disconnection, which I'm grateful for, was seeing the behind the scenes of the church and realizing it wasn't really about love. It was about money, it was about power, it was about control. Once me and my husband at the time really started to travel. Both of us started to really feel the weight of the church. Then we started like drinking and smoking and getting high and slowly just started to drift away from the church. But I think really for me, there was actually a very specific moment. I'm bipolar and I didn't know that at the time. But I started having manic episodes and I was just extremely depressed, very suicidal, very isolated. And I remember the only time I could find any peace from the chaos in my mind would be in a bath. So I was taking this bath. All of a sudden I heard this question and I mean, it was, what do you want? And I was shocked by that question because I never even conceptualized what do I want? Growing up, it was like your desire is evil the only desire that you should be focusing on is the desire of God. And I remember responding immediately, I want to be happy, which I had never expressed before. And so still tried to work it out with my ex-husband. I think the decision was made in the bathtub. I just knew I can't do this anymore. I'm going to end up repeating this story that was passed down 
in my lineage. And so when I went back home to San Jose, I just stayed there and asked for a divorce, left my house, was like, you can have the house, you can have the dog, you can have the car. I just need to leave all that behind. My sister ended up moving to Oakland and I moved with her. One of my first friends that I met in Oakland, she took me to this like jam with all these black artists and musicians. I was really nervous, but at some point I just got on the mic and I just was like, oh, wow. I can worship outside of the church. I consider what I do now ministry. And I'm telling you, we have church. Like when I do perform and I'll look out in the crowd sometimes and people are just weeping and it's just like, yes, they're connecting with themselves. I'm not leading them into my belief system. They're connecting with their truths and they're able to look into the deep inside of them and just recognize that all parts of them are beautiful. We don't have to be ashamed about who we are. And it has opened me up so much. And that's a huge thing for me to be able to express that truth. My name is Astu, and that is my testimony. We're taking a quick break, but the fellowship is coming next with Astu. And we are back for our fellowship, y'all. We are super jazzed to have with us today the one, the only, Astu. Astu, welcome to Sanctify. Welcome. Thank you so much. The one and only, huh? Uh Uh-huh. Absolutely. I I mean, is there another one like you? There is nobody like you. No. There is none (laughs) like you. Yes, we got all these singers up in here. Thank you guys so much for having me. We are so honored that you're here. And I'm blown away by your entire testimony. I think it's interesting because it seems like your whole life was sort of planned out for you from childhood with the family full of ministers and singers. And I want to know how did it feel knowing that you were being prepped for this life in singing and worship and preaching? I think one thing was I felt honored because I knew that ministry was the most important thing to my family. So I felt really honored and proud, you know, that they chose me for that. I also felt, I think, unworthy. I was talking to my therapist about this. When I was young, I just felt like I was a liar. And I think it had everything to do with my understanding of sin and of worthiness. I think another part of it was this unworthiness that came from, I think, feeling inauthentic and a lot of confusion based on the differences of what Jesus said and what Jesus preached and what I experienced with the people, definitely within family as well, but more so the church in general. It was really confusing as a child growing up, but I had hope that I was worthy. That's beautiful because you bring up a really interesting point about the differences among church and Jesus and people in the church. (laughs) And so when we're talking about people, specifically those that are closest to you, right? What was the response from your family and your friends when you decided to leave ministry? My mom is incredible. Anytime, it's, it's so funny. If it comes to like, you know, not doing well in school or I guess that's not small, but the smaller things, she is very worried and she's on me about it. But when it came to 
big things. This peace came over her and she just let me be. She always said, it's okay. I said, I will pray for you. Jesus has you. I know he will not let you go. And so my mom reacted by just letting me be and falling into peace. And my dad more so had, he knows me and he, or he knew me. Um, he passed just this past April. You know, he's always been intellectual. And so he would just kind of debate with me a little bit and just try and prove logically the existence of God and Christ. When I left the faith, I left everything. And so I think my friends, it was harder for them. My faith was very passionate and very expressed. So I think for them, it was heartbreaking and confusing and they were afraid. And so there was definitely a lot of rejection that came in both quiet ways, but then also came in really tough, harsh ways. So, and of course, I also separated myself from people because I felt shame and I felt, I didn't feel strong in it yet. As I was listening to you speak, you talked about the weight of the church. What was that weight that made you drift, not just from the church, but eventually you made the decision to move on fully away from all of it? Yeah, my husband at the time, Jeff, and I were both very much so, our focus was grace. Our focus was like love. And so we, especially with the leaders, this is a worldwide ministry. This is, you know, billion dollar profits kind of thing and a 5,000 person mega church. And so for us, we were pretty high up and we really got to witness some crazy stuff within the leadership. We were extreme in grace. Well, that's what the church, that's how the church saw it. And so there was a lot of conflict there and a lot of like shame and warning, warning us from drifting and I think for both of us, it just wasn't right. We felt inauthentic. We knew that if Jesus was real, if God was real, then, and we could have so much grace for people, then God does too. And we just, it just didn't feel right. There was a minister who came out of the church that we were a part of, and he preached grace. And so we started to work more with him. And that was actually the church that we were going to be moving to Florida to work under. Florida was a decisive moment for you. The bathtub was a holy mm -hmm. space for you. <laughs> mm -hmm. Where are the spaces in your life now where those questions that prompt you to move forward, to heal and to evolve come up? Where do you find those spaces now? I mean, of course, they're initiated by hardships in my life or, I mean, truly, it's just come from this urgency and desire to face myself and to find my true desires to un unravel these ideas from my being, you know, these things that cling to me because of the indoctrination, really, I want to say, and religious abuse. So I think they come from a lot of places. They definitely come from the music. You know, when I'm writing, I always have uh, an intention, you know, a very clear intention, and I always reach that intention. But the journey to reaching that intention, a lot of it is unconscious you know and then i look back on my lyrics and i look back and i'm on the song and i'm just like oh okay that's a word i'm gonna go back and i learn and then there's also understanding my mental health i was diagnosed bipolar 2 a few years ago and that was a huge moment in my life where things really 
turned around for the first time. I'm like, oh, and just taking the time to nurture myself in that area, nurture my mental health and and understand how it affects me and who I am. And honestly, I feel like it's a superpower because I think about it and I'm like, that's where my empathicness <laughs> comes from. That's where my understanding in the spirit, a lot of that comes from. So I think those are mostly the places and my family. Speaking of superpowers, you probably identify as queer, a part of our LGBTQ plus community. I sure do. Was that something you came to understand and accept about yourself after leaving ministry? Or was that something you came upon before? I had no idea. I had no clue before. Oakland has done so much for me, but that was definitely one of the major things Oakland did for me was help reveal that to me in such a gentle way. I started to understand it really slowly. I had a, a really good friend and we're like, oh, were we in love with each other? We were both kind of coming into our understanding of queerness at the same time, which was hard, but it was also a blessing. And then just slowly, I started to meet women and, and you know, I fell in love, deeply in love. And I think that was the time where I was like, oh, I'm gay. Now I understand like why all these relationships in the past, like why it was so difficult. And it was from that relationship where I was like the love that I had for them. And it, it just catapulted or was a catalyst into me looking into my mental health. And after meeting them, I think three months later, I was like, okay, I'm just going to tell my parents because I want to bring this person around. How do you tell your minister African parents that you're gay? I don't know how I did that so easily. And when I did it, it was just like, I just told them like, you know, my dad was so heartbroken. His face dropped, his body, his shoulders hunched. And he was just like, it's my fault. And he just, so much shame and guilt came over him. And he didn't even say anything about me. And I remember just telling him calmly, like, dad, this is my joy. It's not a burden for me. It's, it makes my life so much lighter. If you want to carry this burden, I can't stop you, but you don't have to. And he did. We drifted apart after that, which is really sad. But, you know, that was his choice. And my mom, she dropped a little bit, but she was just like, Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> Kind of like praying. And I said, do you still love me? And she said, oh, of course. I said, I'll never stop loving you. And I said, you're my daughter. And I was like, okay, well, then this is who I am. So, you know, if you love me, you have to accept this and love all of me. And she's like, okay. I said, and I was like, um, and you're going to have to meet my girlfriend. She's like, please, Aster, not now. Give me time. She's really trying and I can see her changing. So it's pretty amazing. Not just for me, but for others, you know, for the people in my life. My brother and sister were easy. They're like, okay, it's whatever. I'm so glad you had that. It's all such a beautiful journey. Even the obstacles and things that we, you know, look back on and have to go through. I want to know, just looking back, do you feel like traditional ministry was wrong for you from the beginning or was it right for a season? I do. I think it was really unhealthy and not like it wasn't authentically me, 
But ministry in general is definitely my call in terms of through my music, (laughs) I still preach, I still lead worship. And I truly think it's to the same God. It's just not Jesus, you know, it's just not Christianity, but it is the same God I've known since I was a child. It's definitely the same God. And, you know, truly I'm like, believe that that's the God within me. And I have a different understanding of that, but I definitely understand that I'm connected to everything. I think I am called to ministry in that sense. And I also don't regret going full head on into the ministry in Christianity because I really did learn a lot. I learned a lot and it was good preparation for, you know, what I'm really called to. You still identify as a preacher. You still identify as a worship leader. Those are still, you know, a little churchy. How would you define ministry in your own words? What does ministry mean to you now? Basically having the courage to fully express who I am, to fully be me. And I don't want to lead people. That is the last thing I want to do. I don't want to lead people. I don't want people to look at me and see like an example. What I do want to do, which I think is the most powerful thing, is to show up completely as I am, to implode. (laughs) And what I believe is that we are all mirrors. And there's a courage that people, they see it in themselves. Through my music, I want to provide space that creates freedom for people. I want people to be alone. I want people to be in the dark and I want them to see themselves and to understand that there's no parts of them that are wrong. I really hope that my music creates a space where that's abolished. I love that you come as you are. I love that you are very okay with being exactly who you are, where you are, in the moment, and I have this answer, or I don't have this answer, or I'm still discovering. I think that's so amazing. I think what we've also been talking about is how particularly the Black church has defined ministry and how God is so much bigger than that system of ministry that we've come to know. I 100% believe that you minister through your music, and I think it's so beautiful. I do want to know, because you've had so many strong moments in your life where you have made an exit, whether it was the traditional ministry, your marriage, sometimes maybe from some loved ones. What is the biggest lesson that you have learned that still guides you today in life? Me first. (laughs) Mm, Yes. Come on, somebody. it. It is hard. It can be really hard to love myself. It can be really hard to believe myself. And anything that comes in the way, even there are times where I'm like, well, if you just did better, if you just different things like, well, I am where I am. When I meet myself where I am is when I can go where I know I want to be. Being able to sacrifice relationships, which I had to do with my dad. I spent my life trying to build this bridge between him and me, between him and my family. And I just, I was like, I can't right now. This is such an important time in my life. And it ended up being the time that he was close to death and he had cancer and it was so hard. I still tried, I still tried. But then, you know, I think when I told him about being queer and being in love with a woman, he, it was really a a drastic change 
in our relationship. He just the little bit that he used to reach out, he no longer did. And so at that time I was like, bet, like I can't right now. I have to, in order for me to live, I have to do this. And so I think that sacrifice was worth it. And I think truly deep down inside, he was proud of me and he was excited for me to live the life I wanted to live and the life that was mine. So and he couldn't express it. And that's okay. I know his heart. Yeah. That's beautiful. I resonate with that so deeply because ministry, marriage, service, like as black women in the church is just like all systems go. But Mm -hmm. when you're in it and, you know, we like to say it's no longer serving you. But not only that, it's it's no longer helping you be who God is calling you to be. Mm -hmm. It takes so much courage to step away from that. I, Mm -hmm. too, left the church. I, too, left my marriage when it was like there was this clear trajectory of this Mm -hmm. is where we're headed. Mm -hmm. But when God disrupts that, you got to pay attention to the Mm -hmm. disruption. Mm -hmm. And when it, you you know, something else that you said, Asu, was that you want people to be by themselves and in the dark. And sometimes we are busy in ministry because we don't like to be alone. Absolutely. And so thank you for leading us to the dark spaces because shadow work is so important. Just like the light that we present to the world is, is used to fortify others and to give them strength. We need those quiet times. We need those times of grief and mourning and releasing and purging so that we can create something because new. Because there's growth. Growth always comes mm-hmm. through that. So thank you for reminding us of that. Yeah. Astu, this has really been amazing. It's been confirmation. It's just been lovely getting to know you. Mm. The small time that we've had, just pieces of you. I, I feel that you are very grand and there's so much that still has to come from you and so much that people will gain when being around you or hearing you. Thank you for being here. Amen. Thank you for being here, Astu. Thank you so much. A huge thank you to Astu for sharing her story. We're coming back right after this with the offering. Is offering time. This is one of my favorite times Come on, on, where we it. don't take from you. Rather, we like to offer something to you. Mm-hmm. And today's conversation was so robust. But what I do want you all to be able to leave with is knowing that ministry does not look one way. Right. If you are helping others connect with themselves, the community, and with God for their understanding, you are doing ministry. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be ordained. When you are touching someone, when you are being that balm, mm-hmm. when you are bringing a remedy, you are in ministry. And it's yours, right? Whether you are at home, at church, at school, in the club, okay, drop it like a daddy, drop it like a daddy. It's just <laughs> remember to minister to yourself yes. first. Yeah. Martyrdom is not ministry, sis. I am where I am because I kept choosing myself. I refuse to sacrifice myself. And so just like that voice came to us too and asked her, what did she want? I want to ask you, what do you want? Okay, because that's not something the church taught us. The church wasn't like, oh, what do you want, girl? Let's, what, what's your desires? 
It was, meanwhile, meanwhile, back at the farm, <laughs> God has called us to live a life full of abundance. Mm-hmm. And that does not mean always sacrificing yourself day in and day out and not giving yourself what you need and what you desire. I mean, Jesus is already on the cross. We don't got to be on the cross no more. He did it so we didn't have to. And that's a part of living life and life more abundantly. Mm-hmm. And abundance isn't just financial. We Mm-mm. we praise God. We love a good coin now. Okay? We need it to live Get in a capitalist back. society. Get your back. Also, and abundant joy, abundant peace. Amen. Abundant love. Amen. Like self-acceptance and self-love is priceless because you can feel like you have this ministry that you have to get to so many other people Mm. but you'll never get there if you burn yourself out not taking care of yourself or if you feel unworthy of love unless you're serving some people are at church every single day because you feel like well who's gonna love me if i'm not doing something for them god is saying rest beloved you are worthy even if you don't do another thing oh this is lovely well if all hearts and minds are clear huh that's it for today that was so great that was, was so, so great was so i great. feel like it's so rich and there's more there but we gotta end y'all Church. we do we do we, we continue the conversation in the parking lot in the parking lot and you know what come back next week because we gonna be dropping it even more with all the sanctified knowledge we can find bring a friend and be sure to tap that follow button on spotify and if you want to let us know what we should talk about send us an email at sanctified at unbotherednetwork.com thank you for joining us y'all we pray that you are uplifted we pray that you are affirmed and we pray that you continue to walk in courage and love and grace because you are as levon says worthy Sanctified is a Spotify original series produced in partnership with Jamel Hill's Unbothered Network, Lodge Freeway Media, and Exit 39. Hosted by Deborah Joy Winans and LaVon Briggs. From Unbothered Network, Lodge Freeway Media, and Exit 39, executive producers are Jamel Hill and Evan Dick. Head of content for Unbothered is Christina Tapper. Head of network operations is Rich Burner. Creative producer is Ashley J. Hobbs. From Spotify, executive producer is Christina Tapper. Creative executive is Grace Delia. Senior program manager is Jessica Dow. And program manager is Jenna Lonergan. Special thanks to all the cross-functional teams at Spotify that helped bring this program to life. This episode includes original music produced by Cheyenne G. New episodes of Sanctified come out every Wednesday, only on Spotify. So be sure to hit that follow button so you never miss an episode.